Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. And I'm skeptical on what the Democrats are actually planning to do, not with just a 1.2, but with the 3.5 that is fused together. That's just enormous spending, and inflation is already a tax increase on people making much less than $400,000. It's a tax increase on people working paycheck to paycheck. This is a bad decision. Tim Scott there, he said some other really good stuff about the gigantoid spending package that we'll get to in a couple of minutes. Plus, uh, I, I mentioned it. We'll pay it off this half hour. I promise the best uh, email on bums and junkies I think we have ever received in injecting a little realism into the situation. Uh, Jack is with us via phone. Hello. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's unprofessional, but my son had a bit of a medical emergency that we're dealing with last night and today, and so uh, it's either be here on the phone or not be on the show at all. Well, I don't think uh, it's unprofessional in the least. We appreciate I, your presence. I saw that entire interview with Tim Scott yesterday, Senator from South Carolina. He's an impressive dude. I was a little disappointed because his name gets thrown around as a presidential candidate. He sure sounded like a guy who's getting out of politics. And he's, uh, he said he said this is his last Senate race, and um, he said he doesn't believe in the whole lifetime politician thing. He said too many people get into politics and stay there the rest of their lives. He doesn't believe that's the right way to handle it, and he, he just sounds like a guy that's getting out of politics to me. Well, and the, the rumors, the thoughts, the conversation around him perhaps running for president or being on the ticket, um, I wonder if we have a couple of years to draft Tim Scott, and the fact that he's not interested in the gig makes him all the more appealing. We'll just have to see. No, no kidding, it does. Yeah. Hey, uh, so a lot of talks about the, the talk about the nation's finances. How about your personal finances? This is in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. We've all been following our FICO score for our entire adult lives, right? Because that is so important as to whether or not you could get a loan at all or what interest rate you could get on a loan when you buy, you know, you buy a car, you buy a house, whatever. Well, it's going away, and it has been over time, and I didn't even realize this because I haven't bought a house or a car in a long time. But FICO scores hold on the credit market is slipping, says the finance section of the Wall Street Journal. That three-digit number has been the linchpin of consumer credit decisions for years. The banks are increasingly relying on their own scores that they come up with. Some of it's for a good reason. Some of it's for a scary reason. I'll read some of the article. Big lenders are moving away from FICO, according to people familiar with the matter. Capital One Financial Corps and Synchrony Financial don't use its scores for most consumer lending decisions. They're becoming a smaller factor in underwriting decisions at J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America, obviously, who do a lot of loans. Maybe you've got a loan with them right now. There are a few reasons for this shift. Many lenders now review a wealth of new data and use it to refine their own proprietary scores that they say are better able to predict who will repay and who won't. That I get and that I like. Oh, yeah. And l- let me jump in here just to point out, I'd read that article and I found it interesting. It's It, it reminds me so much of why uh, every family in America had a set of encyclopedias uh, back in 1975 and why nobody does now. It took a ginormous effort to collect you know, the mating habits of the minks, and the history of baseball, and pictures of Mount Krakatoa, and the rest of it, and put it all together. Now all you need is a phone. 
So, yeah, it makes sense to me that the banks can assemble the data. We don't need a a single company or a handful of them to collect data. Hell, Mark Zuck, ask Mark Zuckerberg. He's got it. Regulators are concerned that FICO leaves too many Americans behind, limiting them to payday loans and other costly forms of credit. Some 53 million U.S. adults lack traditional FICO scores because they have thin or non-existent borrowing histories. And I remember when I was younger, that was very frustrating to me, the idea that, so I, uh, I'm a good credit risk, I believe, at this point. I can certainly afford this, but because I haven't borrowed enough times, my score is low? What? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's always seemed wacky to me. Um, and then the game that, you, you know, they suggested that you play where you, you know, you take out a loan on a TV you can buy just so you show you can pay it back and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. It always seemed hinky and weird to me. Yeah, the whole thin credit thing, I have no problem with that. Um, and, and if these are companies willing to take on the risk and they're thinking, look, there's a whole market out there for us, assuming it's not predatory and weird, that's, of course, that's perfectly fine. Uh, I know there, there are also some people mentioned in the, uh, article who are super enthusiastic about making sure everybody can borrow lots of money. Yeah, that was the bad news part of it to me. It sounded like some of the push on this is to give people who probably aren't good credit risks, get them on the hook for a variety of things, um, because remember that's what caused the big housing bust and you know we now have a situation where you can you can buy a car on 84 months um and then there are the, 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 then then there are repo places out there or there there are places out there that will let you take equity out of your car and like have a uh you know um like not a home equity loan but a car equity loan out of your car so you're already possibly upside down on your car, the little equity that you have, and unlike a home, it's getting less every single day, you can take a loan out on the equity in your car. I mean, that's just setting people up for failure. Now, I know as a libertarian, it's supposed to, I should just think, well, if people do that, they do that. That's stupid. Yeah, well, I would agree. I just, some of the verbiage in here, a key financial regulator is encouraging banks to de-emphasize credit scores in an effort to expand access to affordable credit. Uh, can we do that very, very carefully? Because you know, don't you, that if if a million and a half people, the the, the uh, for instance, the, the inflation screws up the economy, we have a rough couple of years. You will absolutely hear a a, a choir of voices from Capitol Hill saying, "We need to bail out these innocent people who, by no sin of their own, have ended up behind." Blah blah blah. And we'll be asking taxpayers to bail it out again. Just the same the, stupid pattern over and over again. But the current system did, because it's going away, punish people. I'm thinking about like my brother and other people I've known who pay cash for everything. My brother's not a guy who's going to buy a big screen TV until he's got enough money for it. He's not going to do the 90 days same as cash or, you know, six months same as cash or whatever. He's not going to do that. He's not going to buy anything until he's got the money saved up for it. And people like that have, very, have lower credit scores sometimes because they, don't have a, they haven't taken out enough credit. And so the new system is they're going to look at you. You know, you pay your rent or your house payment every month on time. You pay your uh, energy bill on time, you know, a variety of other statistics, and think, yeah, that person's a good risk. Yeah, here, here. Here, here. One more f- note, and this is more into the world of finance than we usually get. They do mention that, Everybody has knows FICO in the in the lending world. They it's it's a language they all speak, and so you can quickly approve, disapprove, whatever. And now with everybody on their own, it could get a little I don't know, a little different, a little more cumbersome, or something like that. But you know that's the bank's problem, I suppose. Um, 
I'm not worried about it. I never want to move again. I never want to sell another house again. I want to drive the car I have until I'm dead. I just, I just, I just don't, I don't know. <laughs> I've, so, I, I've had enough of the rat race. So on a macro scale, um, all these crime stories and videos I'm hearing. So we know legit crime is up. Homicides, beatings, theft, all kinds of stuff is up. But I feel like, well, I don't know which. Like the New York Post, which I look at on a regular basis, over the weekend, every day they had a couple horrifying, here's an old guy just walking down the street attacked by a gang of youths who beat him up for no good reason. Here's an old woman who got beaten up and her walker taken. Here's an off-duty firefighter who got beaten up by a gang. I mean, is is are things completely out of control, or is that like... Um, anecdotal evidence taking advantage of the current mood. Yeah, boy, that's a that's a tough question to answer because it absolutely could be. Uh, well, it could actually be both. It's one of those things where it's being overstated right. and exploited for yeah. clicks, and it's yeah, true. I think, that, I think that's what is happening. And uh, you know, we have cameras on every corner, big cities, especially in San Francisco, New York, places like that, uh, L.A. You got cameras everywhere, so the chance of catching this sort of crime on video now is. You know, much different than it was 10 years ago. It was impossible 30 years ago. Um, And so they've got the video. And I don't watch the videos, but apparently some people do. I'm guessing they know where they get their clicks. Yeah, well, interestingly enough, the whole body cameras and everybody's got a cell phone, and so they videotape interactions with cops and all. It's exposed a lot of bad cops and and helped people understand that there are more bad cops than you might have thought, and sometimes they escalate when they should de-escalate, and that guy got dragged out and beaten unjustifiedly, etc. And that's legit. I think we're getting a little more reality on that. Well, it's also pretty clear that there are more people in cities... And there's no reason to bring race into it, but there's a lot more people beaten down and have their stuff taken or just beaten for fun uh, by predators, by really awful people than I would have guessed. Yeah. Kind yeah, of It's horrifying. Yeah, it's it horrifying. is. So i got to get to that bums and junkies email, Jack. I know you will uh, be interested in it if you can hang around. If not, that's fine. Um, it is a... It is a giant dose, pardon the expression, of realism when we're talking about bum camps and needles and people crapping and and stealing out of your garage, stealing Jack's bike last week, etc. Hope you can stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The New York Times with an inexplicable effort to smear Brett Kavanaugh over the weekend or late last week. I'll tell you about that article in a couple of minutes. Just crazy. But if you listen to us talk about the bums and junkies issue, you can call it the homeless problem if you want. But the problem, the real problem is bums and junkies. Um, and, and all we've advocated is realism. Quit with the unicornian misplaced, where the hell did you get that idea that it's just rents are high or uh, it's one medical bill drove them over the edge or whatever. Have you been among some of the bum camps? 
You've seen the crime statistics, the needles everywhere, the people taking craps, the crazy people fighting. Go to go to Venice Beach in L.A., go to the, the, San Francisco, the Tenderloin, anywhere you want in Sacramento and Seattle and Portland and, and Austin and Missoula and anywhere that uh, the left is in charge. And I think the reason is we have, we, they, are conducting an experiment in compassion without any demand that there be law and order. Just an all-compassion approach. I've said many times, if you have order without compassion, you have fascism and brutality. But if you have compassion without order, you have chaos and the breakdown of civilization. Which brings us to this email from Al Anonymous. Um, he knows what he's talking about. He is a drug recognition expert, instructor, and deals with the realities on the street a lot. And his job requires a fairly solid understanding of how drugs work in the body. Um, physiology, uh, the psychology of it, etc. Um, he mentions there are push and pull factors, incentives and disincentives for drug addiction. Soft heads want to use incentives to lure junkies away from drugs. Some drugs mimic chemicals in the body, some release more from our body's natural stores than our body could ever do, and some block chemicals from reacting with our body. In a nutshell, that's how all drugs work. Imagine, if you will, the best sex or experience you've ever had in your life and how you felt. And he gives some examples of, of landing the big bass to win the tournament or, or falling in love, whatever. Um... But now imagine a drug that gives you 10 to 20 times that feeling and tell me there's anything someone can offer you as an incentive to get off that drug. Tell me there is something that is so alluring to you that you will convince yourself to get away from the drug that literally gives you more pleasure than your body should ever naturally experience. That is why drug addicts care more about the drug than food, housing, family, money, etc., I would point out that with some drugs like heroin, that lasts for a while, and then you're just desperate to get it so you don't feel sicker than you've ever felt in your life. Um, but you still have a desperate, desperate need for it. So if people cannot be incentivized out of the problem, and people only respond to incentives and disincentives, what are we left with? We have to find a way to disincentivize them from the drug. The carrot will not work. The stick is the only option. And I have a caveat I want to throw in, but it'll wait for a second. It sucks, and it sounds bad and hurtful, but there is no way to get junkies to respond unless you make life so miserable, specifically because of the drug, that they decide the drug isn't worth the problems it's causing. How do you stop a problem like this from starting? You have to give people a reason not to start the drugs in the first place. You have to make them illegal and make people understand that there are severe and immediate consequences for using this drug. Most of the junkies I deal with and talk to, I love asking them how and when they got started on drugs, what they started with, etc., Most of them started in their teens with friends or a girl offering them drugs. You can't explain to a teenager that if they do that drug, they'll end up homeless in a ditch with rats as your friends, carrying balls of crap and ash in your backpack, talking to the voices in your head and picking at the imaginary bugs in your skin in a few years. Teenagers don't think that far ahead. Of course not. And they sure as hell don't think it'll happen to them. I am all for forgiveness and giving people second chances. I think many people can recover from these problems if they get the right help. But they have to want it more than the drug. That is what makes the situation so difficult. It may sound cruel to some to push harsh consequences on someone with a drug problem, but if you don't, there is very little chance that you will convince this person who has come to rely on their only joy in life, coming from a pipe or a needle, that they should let go 
to be a hardworking, contributive member of society. And he goes on to say, I don't have all the answers, blah, blah, blah. I would disagree somewhat, although I'm absolutely open-minded to continue this discussion. As a lover of liberty and a believer that adults should be able to make choices for themselves and then take and live with the consequences, I've never been a fan of drugs will ruin your life, so if we catch you with drugs, we're going to ruin your life. I do believe in there being disincentives. But the Joe Getty plan, which, again, I stand absolutely ready to amend or listen to reason about, is that if you want to do drugs, but your behaviors impact your your city, your town, your, your society, your neighbors, the kids at the park, in any negative way, then society brings the hammer down. I'm not going to ruin your life because you're doing drugs. I'm going to ruin your life because you're leaving needles in the park, because you're threatening kids, because you're... Uh, Intoxicated and intoxicated in public, menacing people trying to shop uh, on Main Street. You're taking a crap on the street. You're you're you've committed a crime. You're stealing people's bikes from their garage. Then you get hammered with the full force of the law. No, you can't park. Or you can't uh, uh, camp in the park. You can't sleep on the sidewalk. You can't be doing that. We're going to roust you. Move along. Move along. Move along. Move along until you decide, I can't live like this. And then you decide you're not going to live like this. We can't put up with lawlessness. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Closest to him, the Italians are going to be left behind by the United States, who are going to put away another gold medal in the men's relay. Sounds weird with the empty stadiums, you know? I mean, it's fine. It's fine. You still ought to be able to work up a little USA, USA, but... Well, yeah, I missed the opening ceremonies. We had some friends say, hey, you guys want to come over for a glass of wine? A uh, little uh, cheese, a little... Uh, little meat, a little uh, olive, a little uh, more wine. And we said, yeah, and then nobody even thought of turning it on. Well, I'm kind of disappointed by that, but I just it's just not top of mind for me. Anyway, uh, Joe in the studio at the Radio Ranch, Jack uh, via phone. Uh, it's, 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 it's good to have you. Anyway, the time you got. Well, that, that's interesting, you know, because I was talking earlier about is it because of uh, NBC farming out so much of the Olympics to the Peacock Network, which means you've got a sign on to their streaming service and pay however much it is a month, and then some of the sports you have to buy individually. Well, that wasn't the reason people didn't turn it on there. They wouldn't even have been aware of that, probably. Right. You know, it's interesting, though. It's like a master class in how to kill something. So, for various reasons, and it's, uh, you know, the IOC's corruption, the people kneeling for the anthem, blah, blah, blah. People's excitement about the games in general has declined. But those who who are still excited and want to watch it, and remember it's on, be sure to abuse them when they get there. I mean, that's how to kill it. Yeah, ratings down for opening ceremonies 30-some percent from 2016, and 2016 was down 30-some percent from 2012. So that's some pretty giant drops. Um, also, things just come and go in popularity for, you know, who knows what reason in the entertainment business. Um, American Idol, 40 million people would tune into American Idol. And then eventually most people decided, nah, I've had enough of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's happened with Olympics. I have no idea. Yeah, things peak. Um, 
while we're talking about the Olympics, I too wondered this because I did watch the Olympics opening ceremonies. I'm one of the, my son and I, two of the 17 million who watched. That's a small number. Anyway, um, I've always thought Team USA's outfits were stupid. They always look stupid. A lot of the other countries look cool. Some of the other countries also look stupid. But Team USA always looks stupid, and I've always wondered why. Uh, Team USA's outfits for the 2020 Olympics opening ceremony were ripped by Twitter. Okay, that's a meaningless phrase. Who mocked the Ralph Lauren-made ensembles. That's why they always look stupid. Ralph Lauren has been supplying the outfits for, like, my entire life. For some reason. And I don't know if you, uh, like, I have, uh, I wear polo shirts. uh, But a lot of the stuff Ralph Lauren makes, who the hell would ever wear that? And where would you wear it even if you did? I mean, I don't know if you've ever stepped into one of the stores. And they put our athletes in those crazy outfits. The U.S. Olympic team looks like there was a fire at the yacht club during a young Republicans meeting. And and they just fled into the street wearing their their blazers and their dickies and the rest of it. It's just... Who do dresses like that? Coach, we're America. We Nobody. can do better. Why does Team USA's outfits look like they report you to HR for cursing? <laughs> one person. <laughs> <laughs> um, every summer Olympics, they let Ralph Lauren dress our team like they're on vacation in Newport. Team USA wears the same damn, out, same damn outfit for every opening ceremony. Will somebody please rescue them from this owl? Uh, and uh, finally this one. And, of course, you know, it's meaningless that Twitter, because you could put them in anything and Twitter would, you know, make fun of it because that's what Twitter does. Of course. Uh, Ralph Lauren's Team USA outfits practically scream, I'd like to speak to your manager. But the neckerchief, <laughs> who wears that? And, the, you know, the, the weird strike. I mean, just I've never known one person in my life who wears these clothes. Yeah. And we dress our athletes in them every four years. It's you know, I saw the headline uh, about that, about how, how bad they were, and I thought, all right, come on now. Everybody's so snarky and cynical about everything. Then I scroll down right. to the pictures, and I'm like, oh, my God. Again, th- 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 I love that shot about Newport. It looks like people who think Martha's Vineyard is getting too low class designed the, <laughs> the outfits. Yeah, who would wear that crap? Um Hey, so I was listening to your segment, last segment, about uh, drug addicts, and we we know, I wish everybody knew, that most of your homeless people on the street are drug addicts. Um, and every time I hear that, and you were talking about how drugs make people feel really, really good, and it's going to be hard to get them to quit. Mm-hmm. Uh, guy, guy I knew who was a meth addict, and uh, at the time that he told me this, he was sober. I haven't seen him in years. He dropped off the radar, and I would assume, and uh, I mean this sincerely, I would assume he's either dead or in prison, the fact that I haven't seen him in years. Um, that's pretty much the only two ways I wouldn't have seen him. Um, he, uh, he once told me, he said, it's like a thousand times better than any orgasm you've ever had. And I thought, how could your mind even wrestle with that? That would kill me. How could your mind even wrestle with with that? Once that happens, how are you going to convince yourself, nah, I'm not going to do that again? You're always going to say, eh, one more time. Well, one more time. You know, maybe when your teeth fall out and you have no relationships anymore, but if you're still getting that high, uh, you know, it's going to be tough as hell. And as I've said many times and will continue, and if you make sure there never are any repercussions, there never is any... I've got to stop living like this. I can't live like this. Make it as easy and comfy as possible and tell people, we'll get you treatment, and here's an apartment. And that's how we'll get them off drugs. Where, what planet are you people from? And, you know, it occurred to me 
The one thing that the email left out, which is a point worth making, is the other side of the coin, is not only do a lot of the drugs make you feel really, really good, but they also remove the really, really bad that is part of life. And especially if you're not the cheeriest or most comfortable in your skin person, numbing that existential angst is appealing. Um, and and I'm I'm speaking from experience. I, you know, I make jokes about, uh, yeah, I can still remember my problems, so bring me another drink, you know, and I'm half joking, <laughs> but I'm not entirely joking. Um, right. And so, yeah, the, the idea that just generosity will get people back on the straight and narrow, again, it's, it's like you always say about so many people um, on the left who have programs for the poor, assuming that everybody at every moment is trying as hard as they can, following the rules and the rest of it. It's such a naive classroom view of humanity. They just have no idea how people actually act. Speaking of being comfortable, air conditioning makes us comfortable, and I think they're coming for your air conditioners. I saw this over the weekend, I think, in the Washington, New York Times. So I wonder if there's a certain feeling about the climate change people, and always with the caveat that I know nothing about climate change. I've never read a single article about it. I never think about it. (laughs) I just, it's not an issue that I think about, okay? So... I don't, I, don't, I don't have a position on climate change because I've never thought about it, and I plan to not continue to think about it for the rest of my life. Well, I'll work the climate but, um, change desk. I think about it a great deal, but uh, go ahead. Um, uh, so I, I'm wondering if maybe they feel like, okay, we're winning the battle with cars. All your big manufacturers, geez, half the ads I saw on the, during the Olympics Friday night were, uh, you know, the cool new this or that electric car. So they might be feeling like, okay, we're winning the battle with cars. People have got in place. We're going to get off gasoline cars. What's next? The big one, air conditioning. The battle for climate change begins with your air conditioner, this piece in the New York Times. And they get into the numbers on how much damage air conditioning has done to the planet, they claim or think, and whether it's accurate or not, I don't know, because like I said, I've never looked into any of this. Um but air conditioning is a fairly modern convenience, and people lived without air conditioning for a very long time. And most of us live in places where we could live without air conditioning. It'd be hot, but we wouldn't die. Um, and uh, I wonder if they're coming for the air conditioning next. If they're gonna, if, if several generations from now, the idea that you would uh, live at seventy-five degrees in your home just because it makes you slightly more comfortable and you're killing the planet makes you a bad person. As a larger man, I'd like to point out it makes me enormously more comfortable, not slightly more comfortable. It feels fantastic. And I know the coolants that you can use have changed a lot in the last 20 years, which is probably a good thing because we were putting some nasty, nasty stuff into the atmosphere. But So they're thinking they're even going to crack way down from what it is right now. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure there will be some advances in um, technology, but if they start mandating various things the way they have with cars, we might all end up where we're we're you know kind of similar to cars. There's going to be some prices to pay uh, in terms of the convenience and the power or whatever. Maybe uh, you know your house is so it's not it's 100 degrees outside. It's not 100 degrees in your house, but it's 85 and not 72. You gonna have government mandated uh, minimum temperatures in your house? You think? Why wouldn't that happen if they're going to force? Certainly, in in uh, I could see it certainly happening in uh, buildings. 
Yeah, um, well, I'm 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 slipping the installation guy a, a couple of hundred and saying, look, hook me up with the good stuff. He'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> if they're going to mandate car companies make cars nobody wants that run on electricity, and uh, by a certain year, you know, you have to have this number of this and this number of that. Why wouldn't they go with? Uh, why wouldn't they get into the world of air conditioning with that? Well, they may have to get, uh, might have to get after it in a hurry. I was just uh, seeing where folks in Seattle and Portland, uh, in short, the Pacific Northwest, uh, are buying up air conditioning units so fast nobody can find any for them. Uh, after that recent heat wave, where they were setting, I mean, it was 110 plus in Seattle. Right, which is like it being 150 in Phoenix, or you know, <laughs> snowing 14 feet in a day in Cleveland, or something like that. I mean, it was like holy crap hot, and so yeah, they're, the, the folks who've never ever had air conditioning are are getting it installed. It's a good day to be, good time to be in in HVAC in the, the Great Northwest, I guess. But. So, hey, those of you who don't think the world is getting warmer. Uh, if if cities that forever have not had air conditioning all of a sudden need it, isn't that a pretty good indication? I tend to believe that things are getting warmer. Yeah, the climate's always changing, and the climate is unquestionably yeah, changing yeah. toward warmer right now. I think humans, for, for what it's worth, I think humans do have a significant role in it. I also know that yeah, China puts do? out more uh, <laughs> greenhouse gases than the next three countries combined. And the next three countries combined to put out plenty. And and so I'm just not in favor of wrecking the economy in, say, an individual state or city to make some sort of grand gesture. Look how enlightened we are. Look at us. Look at us. Worship us. Sorry about all the businesses we put out of business and all the people who are now unemployed and the skyrocketing taxes and the rest of it. But I can sleep at night knowing how enlightened I am. I'm just against that crap. Well, again, I never worry about this. Uh, you can only worry about so many things, and I've decided this is one I'm not going to worry about. Excellent. Um, How liberating. I worry about other things that other people don't worry about. I worry about uh, all kinds of cultural issues and financial issues with our country, um, education issues. I worry about a lot and read about a lot, but you can only take so many of them on, and I'm not taking on climate change. But uh, one of the reasons that I definitely believe the climate is changing, whether we're causing it or not, is the places I'm from where it used to snow all the freaking time, it doesn't snow anymore. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it just doesn't. All right, so we have a lot of good stuff to get to uh, the uh, the gals basketball team. What did they say about standing for the national anthem? Uh, plus, uh, oh, great piece I came across. You have the right to be transgender. You do not have the right to show your junk to women and little girls. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah, oh, boy. All sorts of good stuff. Stay with us if you can. Jack on the phone, on and off, dealing with uh, a medical uh, family situation. Joe in the radio ranch with the crew. Uh, I love Tim Scott. I admire him. He's an amazing American success story. Grew up with very little. Uh, Young black man, South Carolina, where things have not been easy for African Americans through the years. Um, Ran into a, a great mentor, happened to be an older white fellow. Learned the ropes of business, got some confidence decided because somebody believed in him, he could believe in himself, 
as opposed to the utter cruelty of low expectations and the unspeakable cruelty done to young people of color in this country, telling them that whitey's trying to keep you down and there's no way you can succeed succeed because of systemic racism. Just rips people's hope out. It rips their guts out and tells them that they will be subservient because of whitey, which is just terrible. Anyway, love Tim Scott, thoroughly reasonable Republican senator from South Carolina. Now, Jack saw this interview. I just saw the highlights. And uh, to my disappointment, Jack uh, thought it sounds like Tim Scott's easing his way out of politics. Um I was hoping he'd take a bigger and bigger role, but let's play some of the clips of his interview on Fox News Sunday. Let's begin with uh, clip number 40. It's amazing when we have a vote in the Senate on a procedural vote to move to a bill that you haven't seen. The days of actually having to pass it to know what's in it has to be over. That is not in America's best interest to literally have blank pages on a multi-trillion dollar spending plan that doesn't seem to be negotiated on either side. Frankly, when you have nothing to negotiate from a page perspective, you can't see, you can't negotiate it. I don't support that. I voted no. He's talking about that big procedural vote that the uh, lamestream media made such a big deal about last week that the Republicans killed it, the bailout plan to help Americans. Well, it wasn't written. It was half blank. So the idea of moving that to the floor for a vote, what are we moving? We don't even know. It's no way to run a country, my friends. Clip 41. And I'm skeptical on what the Democrats are actually planning to do, not with just a 1.2, but with the 3.5 that is fused together. That's just enormous spending, and inflation is already a tax increase on people making much less than $400,000. It's a tax increase on people working paycheck to paycheck. This is a bad decision. The New York Times, the liberal New York Times over the weekend, was writing about how wages had risen, but consumer prices have risen faster, and so the working people who they're always so concerned about are actually taking a pay cut because of inflation, and we're, we're feeding more and more fuel onto that fire. It's just so unwise. Clip 42. Between Speaker Pelosi and, and President Biden, we're all confused because they keep stepping on each other. We really don't know what, in fact, we're negotiating. It seems to me that one thing is very clear. The $3.5 trillion is, in, in, is in fact, fused together with a trillion-plus dollars of infrastructure spending. That human infrastructure plus the actual infrastructure is a very confusing package but one thing we're not confused about is it's nearly four and a half to four point seven trillion dollars of additional spending on top of the one point nine trillion dollar covid package that only had one percent in the covid package for vaccines so we should be asking ourselves what's really in there and without clarity you don't move forward and then one more clip uh, clip number 43 then we will discuss We have the highest level of violence we've seen, the highest increase in 50 years. We have inflation that makes your increase in pay an actual reduction in pay. And we have liberals in Washington literally saying we need more. The economy is overheating, but let's spin and put more fire on the economy. We have almost 9 million jobs with fewer than 8 million people looking for work. Their formula for success is miserable. Morning consult poll showed that something around 2 million people have turned down jobs due to enhanced government benefits. And I would submit that number's low. We can discuss that 
a little bit more next hour. And if you don't get next hour, grab it via podcast at some point via armstrongandgetty.com. I'm trying to figure out if I have confirmation bias. My my perception, the perception I've formed through the years about Joe Biden and who he is now and to what extent he is even in charge. And that's kind of a cliche. And I hate to go there. The other party always says, oh, he's the slave of Dick Cheney, or he's actually taking orders from blah, 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 blah. It's a, it's a political cliche and, and often a dumb one. But you have a clearly very old, way past his prime president. And I see sign after sign that the Democrats are employing the Cloward Piven strategy, which if you're not familiar with it, and this is an oversimplification, but it's close enough, the idea is you can't get incremental change fast enough. You can't win elections, pass laws, get more benefits to people, bigger safety net, punish the rich. You can't get that done fast enough. You have to break the system. You have to induce a crisis so severe that major, all-of-a-sudden change Looks like it's appropriate. And there are more and more signs, and and I I never want to come off as paranoid. I like to be the reasonable guy, but there are more and more signs that the Democrats have actually employed this strategy. They are going to break the country so they can, quote-unquote, fix it. Yikes. Armstrong and Getty.